Hello, this is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl, and me, Roger Bell-West. We moved into the uh, book-lined, hushed surroundings of Roger's uh, uh, library with uh, cushioned chairs and great comfort, mostly because his wife's away shopping and we can get away with this this month. And we're here to talk about fancy things you can do with dice. Uh, a role Strange play- dice. Strange dice. A role-playing system we have some sympathy for, but are not entirely happy about. But you can buy it cheaply at the moment. And and the possibility of outlining your world in a mere afternoon or evening's uh, gaming session. Onwards. to welcome you to an act of intellectual theft. Um, I have warned the uh, the person I'm stealing from about this. Um, the person I'm stealing this idea from and trying to develop into something uh, more useful is a chap called Clark B. Timmons, who is one of my fellow contributors to the venerable Apazine um, Alarms and Excursions. And Clark, I would have warned you this was going to happen if you put your contact details in the zine, all right? Be this as it may, in a recent edition, he came up with a rather neat idea uh, when he was um, brainstorming a new um, fantasy game setting and system. For his magic system, he said, all right, let us use um, something that can generate random story elements and then can put together a uh, useful fantasy sounding spell. And what he chose was Rory's Story Cubes. Do you have any of these? I don't, but I've, I've met them. You've met them? I have a dice that Roger does not have. I am so proud. <laughs> these are cubes, dice, with story elements on them. Little pictures depicting people doing things, or that's the action set. Let me see. Now, this is the basic set, and it has... There are many different sets. There are many, 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 many profitable and decidedly expensive. They had a booth at Essen. They can't be doing too badly. Well, fair enough. Let's have a look. These are the basic set. It has things like a lightning bolt, a fish, a magic wand, a lock, a pyramid, an aeroplane, a shooting star, a clock, and a magnifying glass. All of those are just one side of each of the nine dice. And there's plenty more where that came from. Now, what clock said was, how about if we say that a magician can take as many of these dice as he likes, choosing the ones he particularly fancies, from a set up to his uh, magicianness capability, mm-hmm. roll those, and then choose to take the elements that turn up and weave them into a spell. Presumably he has to weave pretty much all of them. It depends how complicated he wants to be. One die result is useless because of the other thing that he proposes, which is that after you've done that, uh, the GM gets to pick up one of the rejected dice and say, uh, right, um, let's substitute that result for this result here and totally change the meaning of the spell. So I was going to lightning bolt you, but in fact I smother you in fish. Yeah. Or I was going to teleport home, but instead I've teleported to this tree. And that struck me as a really neat idea, as one that had possibilities of exploitation. And one of the things I was planning to do, I have been planning to do for a long time, is try to write a role-playing game based around Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, the infamous, famous, very damn good... A novel of um, Regency Magicians by Susanna Clarke. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that this is the sort of thing that a magician does in the novel from a narrative point of view. You go to a magician and you say, can you do me a spell for this? And he says, mm, let me think what I can and see what I can do. And he pulls together some random seeming elements and... Uh, fuses them into a spell that isn't quite what you wanted, but will probably do. And 
this strikes me as a as a neat means of uh, of of realizing that i'm not sure if i want to keep the ability to screw with the players by putting a, a different result in but it is it but it, it 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 does make some sort of sense the magic in in the jonathan strange mr norrell is always a bit quirky always not quite what you were planning except for the for the, for the simplest effects often extremely powerful but um, hard to target yeah so is this doable and if so what sort of system would i want to build around it all right roger say the thing that you always say well i would need a reason not to use gerbs well GURPS. Such, such reasons do exist i, I wouldn't claim they don't but but they, they, i need to be convinced because the th- the thing that one gets from saying here is here is a weird magic system plus gerbs or here is a weird psionic system plus gerbs or whatever yeah is a framework for building real people who may or may not have the weird power. Uh, and it means you're going to have things like obscure knowledges, which may turn out to be important. You can, mm. you can model that. You, you can do, you can have the expert on, I don't know, 17th century mushrooms. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is the 18th, 19th century. Let's, let's at least make it 19th century mushrooms. Who isn't a magician, but but who's who is hugely intelligent? For example, yeah. uh, you can have well, particularly with the traditional GURPS magic systems, it, it's not that hard to to have someone who who can beat up a mage, yeah. If that, particularly if that mage isn't expecting him, it, it makes mundane things important as well. Now, if you wanted to do a game that was entirely about the magic, I think I, to... I can see that it might not be such a good option. I I think it has to be centrally about the magic. Uh, one of the things is, when I first proposed doing this, one of my players said to me, yes, but the uh, but the magicians in uh, that world are the most quarrelsome, unclubbable people in, in any fictional universe. How are you mm. going to get them all together? And what I proposed to do was Mutual to... Mutual interest. Pardon? Mutual interest. Mutual interest. What I proposed to do was to set it after the end of the novel, when people are trying to uh, rebuild English magic after the events of the novel. So they are a group of people trying desperately to get it all back together, knowing that there have been these great triumphs of magic in the immediate past. And presumably there there are bad guys out there. There are bad guys out there. There are the and here comes a, to a point that, that I want the the system whatever we agree on and I'm not convinced by GURPS because it it has a grittiness. Yeah, all right. Both you and I like grittiness up to a point. Well, go on anyway. Uh, but all right. At the at the end of the novel, they talk about their which of their the two two central characters was the better magician. And uh, some people are strangeites, and some people are moralists. Mm-hmm. Now, Strange, uh, Jonathan Strange was the most intuitive magician possible. He always, he could always reach into a situation and say, "I could just about do this," even if it was something that had never been done in magic before. Whereas Mister Norrell was a researcher, an academic. He understood. Every bit of magic that ha- had had ever been, he he delved deeply, had a great range of knowledge, but he was a bit of a plodder. Mm. So what I want is a system which will somehow, with a, a a maximum of nine dice, nine story dice, you can get up to nine story dice to roll, reflects those two different approaches to magic. Well, I think I'd start by pretending that the dice aren't random. Um, you 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 make a roll, the the player makes a roll, but what that represents is the magician determining what influences are currently. Available. Oh yeah, I entirely and, agree. And if, if, if he doesn't like that, then it might be a matter of waiting several days for the stars to realign or something like that. Isn't he? He can't immediately retry for something more. I, I I I cannot cast a spell until the bluebells come into bloom. There is no there is no possible conjunction of Rod Nut again. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I agree. That's how that's how I imagined it. All the, the 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 dice show you 
what the universe offers you at that moment in time. And you can weave something out of them or not. Or you can just tut-tut and look mysterious. Looking tut-tutting and looking mysterious is probably a major skill of a magician in any universe. And explaining why it didn't work and you ought to use more gold to do it again. Yeah. So how do... Let's All right, let's start with GURPS. How do I make the two different kinds of magic work to, uh, work together? Given that you're either a Noralist or a Strangeite. Well, it seems... This is off the top of my head, but if you are the researcher type, mm. then there might be a set of, I don't know, call it 12 symbols mm. that you know and you understand. And when you roll the dice, you're going to get some of them, usually. Yeah. And if you have them, then that's what you can use. But if you don't have them, you're screwed? Uh you you can use the symbols that are both in your list of symbols you know and on the dice. Hang on, I'm not getting this, this clear. Um, that if you, you, you have you have a long list of symbols. Let, let, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm picking twelve as a fairly random sort of number. But well, hang on, the the which are which are which are collectively maybe one off each die and a couple of spares. Yeah. When you roll the dice, you roll a bunch of dice. Yeah. And the symbols that are on the dice and in your list are the ones you can incorporate into the spell you're going to make. Yes, but... but Which might be one or two, quite often. Hang on, where's the advantage of them having knowledge of these of these spells, of these the, the, these particular... If you are well, a specialist I, I, fish, fish and hand magician, to look uh, at the two which it, happen to be... It, it's either cheaper or more reliable. Hmm. Whereas the improvised magician um, can use any of the symbols. Yeah. But that might well be where you put in the um, GM can twist things around a bit. Hmm. I. And, All he, right. and he's certainly paying more. And he, he might well have to pay per die that he gets to roll. Hmm. He can use whatever symbol comes up on those dice. Yeah. But he only gets to roll a few of them, whereas the, um, the, the ritualist can roll all the dice, but only use a few of them. Well, I was thinking, yes, the. Hmm. I, I was thinking, yes, the, the ritualist gets more uh, more dice to roll, but the, uh, well, I'm not quite sure the. But the intuitionist can use more of the dice. The intuitive magician can use anything that comes up. Yeah, but well, yeah, though, but though with the rest but, of it, no, but it won't it won't work with the, with. It may work. That the researcher, if he picks the die, because you're going to have to pick the the dice out of the available set. Mm-hmm. If he picks the die with the symbol he is specialised in on, can preset that to that to that symbol. I'm thinking he has enough. He has it should have enough symbols that he's generally going to get at least one thing he can use. Hmm. I think he's more likely to be shit out of luck because look. You, you're giving him 12, and you've got uh, 6 times 9? Uh, 54. 54. Um, he's got... Yeah, so, so it might be a longer list. I said that that was a number yeah. off my head. He might choose to learn every side of a single die so that he will always have something he can do. Hmm. That's true. Um, that wasn't where my brain was going. The, the thing I would like to do with the intuitive style... Yeah. Is you use as many as as you like, but the more um dice you can incorporate, the more influences you can incorporate, the higher the power level of the effect. That should be true. But this then constrains it to be more specific. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. The more powerful the effect, the more and there will be counter effects co- coming up. Which is good because what the system I was thinking of using wasn't wasn't GURPS, but was Rain. They using the one roll engine there, uh, variant for Rain, not ignoring for now the the company thing, though that might work neatly with the building up the Society of English Magicians and its various rivals up and around the country. I imagine that there would be competing societies of English magicians, all claiming to be the true heirs to... Well, naturally. Naturally. 
Um, there's people in York know nothing, I tell you. Nothing. Good Lancastrian magic, that's what you want. Um, and so using the difference of height and width for their roles and making making the Noralists have a plus one on the height, which would determine the number of dice that you get to you get to to roll. You you make you may first make a, 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 a being a magician roll, and the number the height of the resulting match. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, go and look it up on on one roll engine. It's it's generally available. It's quite a strange probability system, yeah. And the Noralists, uh, the Noralists get height, so they get they get to pick out more dice. Uh, but the strangers get width, so they get to use more dice in their spell. Does that does that work? I think it might, but I'm not sure. I like the fact that the GM can screw you about, but if you use all the dice that you've rolled, then the GM can't. I think if you have excess width. Yeah, width th- th- this is clearly going to be one of those systems that requires the player to be very much alert and switched on and able to come up with a convincing narrative in short order. Bullshit is going to be one of the major uh, major skills for a player of this game. But then, what game that we know isn't? I don't know. This is Battletech, all right. Often puts me off role-playing games when, when you do have to come up with things like that. I mean, what, what this is reminding me of quite a lot is mm. the early days of Mage of the Ascension. Yeah. And, hey, that's, you're, not, you're, not, you're not selling me off this because I like... Well, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Um, it does very much um, encourage the player to come up with ways of how I can do this using X, that. Y, and Z that I already know. Yeah. And it should make for tricksy and strange magic. I do have a problem in that there, are, there is... This is this is a, a working for individual ma- magicians and it, a model for individual magicians. It works well. But in the Ladies of Grass Adir... Uh, which is um, a short story, which is the title short story of her collection of of stories set in the same universe. There is a group of witches doing things as a group of people, and I wonder how you managed to do that exactly. Well, I, I think if you if you stick with the model of the dice are the astrological configuration of the universe. Yeah. Which means, in principle, you are in fact rolling all the dice to find out what the situation is. You just the player may only get to have some of them. Yeah. So, so you might say to a player, "Okay, you get to roll these four, and I'm going to roll the other five. Yeah. And they can do what they do with their spell, and then you look at the others to, to for inspiration as to how how it might get perverted. Hmm, that's interesting. Yes. Actually, yes. If the the spells always have costs and uh, complications, well, always in the always in the in the novel. I'm not sure that, uh, uh, but that's a function of of, na- of narrative rather than of uh, of the universe. Perhaps the, we don't actually see that the terrible effects that. Uh, some of Jonathan Strange's magics in Spain have, but that's because the, the army marches on. That, yeah, you're right. The possibility, and theoretically, theoretically, if you're working as a group, then maybe the players get to roll all the dice amongst them and get to. But they have to. They can't leave if they leave any out and can't weave them into the spell. Then that yeah, gives I, the GM. His I problem. think you always want to reward the players for using more dice. Yeah. Because um, you want to encourage them to do this, because when things do go wrong, they'll go horribly wrong. <laughs> well, I, yes, I think... Yeah, the... Hmm. I think there is a possibility here. What would they... The sort of adventures you could do with in, in this sort of universe. There are... It's a universe full of fairies... Well, which has a lot of fairies sort of next door, mm-hmm. and uh, and interacting with them is going to be something. The fairies ought to do magic entirely differently from human, or at least they shouldn't have to. The fairies should not have to roll any damn dice. Mm-hmm. 
But and and the, a fairy can always do something, but always at a terrible cost. A major theme in the novel and the short stories is how little you want fairies involved in your affairs. Mm. But I think that the temptation should always be there. You should always be able to say, maybe fairies have a different set of dice. Yeah, they've said they are a lot of the things. So yeah, no, well, maybe they have. Um, there are there are lots of, lots of the things, and if the fairies can show you, loan you different, more useful dice, that might be a possibility. Mm. One of the reasons I like Rain for this is it does do uh, personal interaction quite well, and the countermeasures because, as you said, the more dice, the more powerful the effect. It does have the idea of countermeasure spells. And 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 frustrating other people's workings by going by going against them, so you could in theory pluck out dice from other people's spells or change them. Yeah, being actively able to change somebody else's ma- magic whilst it's being worked on you would, I think, be one of the things you could do. If you get a good enough result, then you change the face of one of the dice as a player. Not as a as a well, GM. If you're looking at this in astrological terms, or configuration of the universe terms, yeah, then if you're if you're creating a counter spell, you're not going to be rolling your own set of dice anyway. You're you're working in the same environment that they are. Yes, that's true. However, what you might get is the situation where the the, the GM has rolled a bunch of dice for his NPC magician, yeah, and done things based on that. Uh the player says, "Aha! Here is a spell incoming. I will do something about it." They then get to, to, to hmm. select. Well, I guess they get a random selection of dice out of the GM's pool, yeah. pre-rolled. Yeah, that's, that's so they become and, the GM, and, that, and that's what they have to work with. Yeah, they they become the GM for that uh, uh, for the, for that counter period, which argues. Well, I wasn't going to say that. But. Yeah, well, they they uh, they are like the G- GM's role in in screwing up player characters. Yes, spells, or at least they, or they, they could try a completely separate spell that's using some of the same influences. Or hmm. yeah, or, I, well, I if you yeah, if you've raised the magic, if the magic has been raised and there's all this magic lying around not being used, then yes, you could probably do that. As far as the underpinning of the system, I, I think the one reason not to use GURPS would be because you want to concentrate entirely on the magic, and everything is about how good a magician somebody is, not about how clever they are or. Um, how skilled they are at mundane things or whatever. Well, the, uh, which is not not so much the sort of game that interests me, but it might well be the sort of game that interested somebody, wasn't me? I've I I have to my cost, having having run Ars Magica, I have learned that there are people who do not do not want to play wizards, and you're going to have to <laughs> you're going to have to. Um, you're gonna to have to to make allowance for um, companions, friends, lovers, um, people who are snatched up up in the affairs of wizards, but aren't uh, but aren't wizards themselves. Yeah. And I think no more than one or two wizards in an average, actually, two uh, two wizards in, in, in an average uh, uh, adventuring party is is sufficient to, uh, to cause plenty of bickering. Um, not talking to each other. Not talking to each other. Um, rivalry and uh, uh, and a general and general trouble. But the job of the other player characters is to ensure that the wizards talk to each other or co- at least cooperate mildly. <laughs> um, and so and so, yes, there is a space there for people who have non wizardly gifts. That's. Mm, that surprises me slightly. I'm just remembering that how Mage rubbed in the point of yeah, everybody is a, every PC at least is a wizard. Yeah. Um, well, Mage is descended from Ars Magica. Um, when you consider how how powerful these abilities are, yeah, you're going to have an awful lot of um, character building resources available to the non wizards. True. Um, I, I mean. I, I can see that you could interest you could have an interesting conflict between the the guy who can walk reality and the guy who can buy your entire family. Mm. Well, look, the, but is that something you want to happen in the party? Well, Mister Norrell, uh, this isn't a spoiler. Come on, now this doesn't count as a, spo- a spoiler. Relies on the, what's his name, the the, the cabinet minister, um, because he's a, he's the he's 
he says he's the greatest magician in England, uh, but but the cabinet minister has political power, connections, and all and wealth, and more wealth than Mister Norrell because he spent it all on magic books, um, and and things that Norrell Norrell needs. And the same is true of Jonathan Strange's relationship with the Duke of Wellington. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you do need people outside. Now, I'm not, I, I do not propose that the player characters in this should, at the start, be nine dice magicians. Um, they should sure. not, they should not be as powerful as, ah, uh, note to self, when they roll a ten on the height die, give them a special effect. Mm-hmm. Actually, when they roll a, a tens on the height dice, give them the ability to set one of the dice. Mental note to self. Right. But I think that answers your point about specialization that they can spec that they can yeah the mastery died that would work. Those of you who have not read Rain are going to be puzzled by this segment. Well, I'm still thinking of this purely in terms of using the, these special dice for the magic system. Yeah. Without necessarily tying it to Rain, and I think one one of the things that the ritualists can choose is either I'm going to learn all the sides of one die. Yeah. So that I can always do something. Or I'm going to learn one or two sides of every die, so that occasionally I can do something really amazing, and sometimes I have nothing at all. Mm. That would be, yeah, I'm not, I that that would be a, an advantage in GURPS, or uh, yeah, that would be. You you have multi-dimensional uh, competence in matri. That's what I'm saying. It's not just levels. No, I I, I quite agree. That I'm not sure how. Ingots, you're going to be rolling nine dice every time. You're not going to be um, able to control all of that. Well, I, I think the, 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 in the model I have, there are always nine dice being rolled. Yeah. They're not always all visible to the player. Hmm. All right, I, I because the, the nine dice roll gives you your overall configuration of the universe that day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, that moment or... Hour or whatever. Yeah. And the... Yeah. The... Hmm. I'm still not quite sure how to tie that in with the GURPS mechanic. But yeah, GURPS is good for all sorts of things. Magic isn't quick. It isn't... Um, except occasionally where it isn't the work of a second. It's the work of minutes mm. at, the, at the fastest. But, hmm. I think there's something here. I think I can. I, I think it, it might also be an idea to put together a, a, some two or three face effects just to give people a guideline, things to start from. Yeah, you are. There's always stuff that you, that you can pluck out of this and, um, you can I, I for me the multi multi arrowed die for instance is uh, uh, means chaos mm-hmm. because I read a lot of Michael Moorcock. Uh, but I but I suppose it has uh, other connotations. You would not want to tie down what that sheep means or the picture of the alien. <laughs> um, the alien is the fairy, of course. Not certainly, but all of it is. Hmm. Sometimes it's a rain of sheep. Sometimes it's turned into a sheep. Yeah. Sometimes it's you become aware of the location of the nearest sheep. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's the sheep love you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think perhaps I have some ideas that I didn't have before. I think that I may even get this done. The vain promises, Michael. Vain, vain promises. Well, it's recorded now. Yeah, yeah, I've made promises to the universe via this this podcast before, and look how they have turned out. Let's move on to the next thing. This is a combination feature and plug, because... This month, or at least at the time the this podcast comes out, a Trail of Cthulhu is available on Bundle of Holding. A lot of it. Yeah. And I'm not a huge fan of the gumshoe system, for, for various reasons we'll go into, but there's some really rather good stuff there. Yeah. Um, there is... Uh, 
the biggest campaign um, for uh, Trailer Cthulhu, which is uh, Eternal Lies. Yep, um, uh, play, played through by yorksothoth.com. You can, you can hear this if you're a patron. There is, uh, there, there is the Armitage Files. There's the Core Rulebook. There is uh, Dreamhounds of Paris. Is that there? I don't think, think so. so. No, Bookhounds of London is in. Bookhounds of London is in. Now, Bookhounds of London is, is, I'm pretty sure now, a game I'm never going to run because last new campaign time I offered it to the Cambridge group who are, who are the most experimental of, of the groups of gamers I know and they, yeah. they, they turned it down. I think on the basis that it didn't really seem to have much in the way of legs. Yeah, the... I mean, it, it, it seemed, it felt as though it would become, right, we have, we have a bit of bookshop administration and then you go off, you go off to your book sale or whatever and that's the adventure of the week. Yeah, it needed, I felt it needed more strongly tying into the, the, uh, nameless eldritch horrors and, and I have a better answer to, I'm just a bookseller. Why am I responsible? Though I do Im- automatically and immediately conflate it with the TV series Black Books, which I think has potential. Uh, the answer is because the bookshop owner is an idiot and, and uh, he, he was reading something out loud one night and, and now it's all tentacly. Yeah, there is a limit to the amount of humour you can work into Cthulhu-related things. Uh, well, except I'm not sure I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, when the screaming starts, then, 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 then the laughing should stop. I agree, it doesn't always do so. But uh, think, thinking about uh, Trade of Cthulhu and Gumshoe in general, um, the, the core idea and the, the thing that was the, the distinctive key new point about this game is mm. you always find the clue. Yeah. Uh, this was presented in opposition to you make a roll to find the clue and you missed the roll and so the adventure stalls. I think that's a bit of a straw man. There are other ways of handling investigations. Well, it strikes me, it struck me then and strikes me now that if uh, that what they're, they're saying is you always get the core clue. Now, if, you, if you're in the right place and if you have the necessary skill, then you always find the core clue, the thing that will allow you to go on to the next point in the chain. Mm-hmm. But at a cost, you can find more. Now, it strikes me that that's perfectly modelable with a dice rolling system. If you have the base, the, the relevant skill at a decent enough level, then you get the core clue. Anything else, you have to roll for. And that means that the people who don't have the skill at a decent enough level also have a chance to contribute because they can yeah. they can roll off default and the amateur can say, hey, look what I found over here, uh, Professor. For that matter, though, there is a mechanic in Gertzforth which is, I think, terribly underused, uh, which is the extra time or less time modifiers. Uh, basically, you, you can attempt to do a task in less than the usual time at, at a penalty, or you can take extra time to get a bonus. Yeah. And it seems to me that for, for something like um, searching a crime scene or looking things up in the library, that, that's a perfect model for how much effort do you want to put into this? Yeah, except that I would say that there should be, if you're going to use that extensively, there should be time pressure. Yes. The, well, there, there, there will be time pressure because... It, it, at least in the usual sort of thing, that who, whoever did it is going to do it again. Yeah, and uh, uh, and eventually the stars will be right enough for them to uh, call down tentacles. Or in a modern police game, because the investigation budget's going to run out if you take too long over it. The FBI <laughs> will take over, and that would be terrible. The, well, we all know about them. Um, yeah, I, I think there are there are other ways of dealing with you don't make the key die roll, and mm-hmm. I agree that, that that's one of them. Uh, or, or the the thing that certainly I've been doing for a while uh, is say, okay, there are quite a lot of links, hmm. and whichever whichever one the the players find first, well, they're very happy with that. They found it first. They follow the link. They don't need to they don't need to stick around and find all the other seventeen that point to the same place. Yeah. Speaking of links, I have at the moment, as I, I said, I'm running um, Dracula dossier uh, with my Slack agents and. This is another gumshoe game, but same basic mechanics. And my problem with that is, is the fact that you can, or if you have enough uh, points in your dice pool, the the thing that's supposed to put pressure on 
in gumshoe-based games is using up resources. It's a resource management mm-hmm. model rather than a, a roll of the dice a model. You, yeah, uh, I, I think I've said before, I, I see this as more spotlight sharing than resource management. But Well, you have... You, yeah, except... Except if they have enough uh, enough points, and in nice black agents they almost always do, then if it's a problem you can solve with one shot, if getting the first shot off and finishing off your opponent matters, then they can almost always do it. And this is proving disastrous to my attempts to make them feel under pressure. I'm mm. going to have... I have the feeling I'm going to have to flood the players with as many minions and, uh, and as many vampires as I can reasonably do so. And I feel that I risk them saying, oh, but that was bloody impossible. Why Were we supposed to survive that in the aftermath? Which is a sensation. I, I'm having flashbacks to um, White Dwarf in the 80s and, and people saying, um, my party is too powerful, combat isn't a challenge for them anymore. Well, it's... I don't have problems with with them being powerful. I do have problems with them not feeling threatened or alternatively feeling threatened too much. It may be a fault in me. It may be a fault in my players. The fact that I'm improvising because the Dracula dossier is an improvised game. Yeah. And I'm only normally ever one or two steps ahead of my players. (laughs) Me, and that's a lucky uh, situation to be in means that I don't plan out, I can't plan out their investigations terribly clearly. Yeah. I don't have core clues in my mind every time. Very often I will make up the core clue when they tell me the approach that they are taking. Yeah. The, I, I... the, the approach where they go into the, the house where the retired spy is drooling into his pillow and place a bug gives an entirely different set of core clues than if they follow his daughter uh, about her daily business and if they intervene with the uh with the MI5 um uh higher up or just observe him gives again entirely different sets of core clues and entirely different ways for them to explore it and so I have to improvise yeah, it, it is rather getting away from the, from the basic gumshoe mould of you go to the place and there is a thing you can learn there. Yeah, I mean, I haven't run very many um, pre-written gumshoe uh, adventures. Even the Zlozny Quartet has to be largely improvised, I found, in practice. Mm. After the after the, the first adventure in the core rulebook of Knights Black Agents, I... I then had to improvise enormously around what I was given, and it's got worse and more yeah. noticeable. But the, the the point I'm making is actually about not about the investigation, is about the the uh, the other skills, the combat skills, the yeah. the doing things in in the world skills. They all my players are almost always saying to me, "What do I need to get an automatic success?" I spend that, and at very few points are they feeling threatened. Yeah, uh, when I, I I've played, I think it was Easter Terrorists. It was it was one of the early Gumshoe iterations. Yeah, uh, at a convention, and the the other problem we had there was we didn't know how long this was going to go on for. We we assumed the difficulty was going to be ramping up, and people were very reluctant to spend anything at all. Yeah, because you know I've I've only got these six points of fighting. Maybe I'm going to need four of them in the in the final fight. Yeah, and uh, and the job of pacing is is equally as hard. I'm finding for the GM. I don't know. I have the end in sight of the campaign, but it's a long way <laughs> in sight, and there are several stages, and there are motivation problems as as well. It doesn't feel to them like they are the superpowered agents that. The setup says they are protagonists of a major movie franchise. Yeah, they they are they are not they do not feel like like Jason Bourne, and yet they're overcoming. Challenges. And yet there are well, well, thing is, it may be that I and my players have been trained in the old school too much. There is a thrill to the roll of the dice. 
Mm. There is a thrill to even, no matter how damn good you are, even if you're, if you're as good as the ludicrous super agents that were in third edition GURPS Black Ops, <laughs> even if you're that good, the roll of the dice still says, I don't know, quite know what's going to happen this, this moment. Yeah, I think what's meant to kick in there is, yes, I just did something awesome, but I can't do it again for a while. Yeah, and here comes the next problem. Yeah. And I should be throwing the next problem at them, problem and problem and problem. And it may be my fault that I'm not nasty enough. I I am generally unsatisfied with the, this model. I'm enjoying the ideas behind the, the campaign. The dossier has a, a lot of really lovely stuff in it. Look, looking on the bright side... Um, Let's look on the bright side. I, it's very easy to convert any of these adventures to... More, a more conventional system. That is not Cthulhu GURPS. That is not the bright side. It involves me having to do work. Very little work. Oh, come on. Uh, it, eternal lies, as far as I can see, when Yogsothoth.com played through it, they were converting more or less on the fly with you know, a, a, maybe a session or two in advance at the very most, uh-huh. but often not even that much. Because, you know, a, a stat is a stat. A high strength is a high strength. Yeah, true. So they actually ran it under Call of Cthulhu. They ran it under Call of Cthulhu's sixth-ish hybrid bastardized that they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Well, they did in the early days, in particular, try to adhere to the gumshoe model of um, right. We have found the clue. Let us move on to the next scene. Um, but after a bit, they, they relaxed into it a bit more and just said, right. Well, let's have some more. We're enjoying this scene. Let's keep playing it for a bit. Yeah. Sometimes the scenes. My players do always want there to be another clue that they have not found yet. <laughs> Um, and they do want to uh, explore things and find find things out, especially if I'm I'm playing a uh, playing an informant who they who they get to squeeze. Um, the the ritual of having, of requiring um, a spend in reassure or a spend in intimidate or whatever feels less satisfying than having them role play it and and or roll the dice. And mm, I, th- I think I, I, I haven't tried running this system. I think I would want to ask for some role playing as well. Well, excuse me, you always ask for role playing, and sometimes you get it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but uh, it's not, it's not working a hundred percent, and I'm feeling as if I'm relying on my pa- player's patience with me. But then, to quote something that um, the, uh, the words of a wise man, one Robin D. Laws. One of my players in my Wednesday night group quoted to me recently. Um, it's from the Robin's Laws of Good Games Mastering. To all games masters generally, you're doing better than you think. And I wrote back to my player and said, yeah, but he's only an a internationally famous role-playing game designer. What the hell does he know? <laughs> have we squeezed that out? Well, we'll go, go, and have a, if you, go and have a look at the, the bundle of holding. There's yeah, a lot of um, good the, stuff in there. Yeah, uh, I think it's worth mentioning the the pulp versus purist distinction, because yeah. even just framing those terms makes it sound as as if the game regards purist as superior, and I think to some extent it does. Uh, th- this is basically do do you do you want existential doom and horror, and you are all going to come to a bad end, or do you want to shoot stuff a bit? Yeah, there, there, there is there is the uh, in, in nice black agents there is the the comparative the comparable. Um, uh, difference between uh, the the dust um, setting, which is what you're all going to end in, <laughs> and the and the and the uh, James Bond cocktail drinking um, super spy setting, which is not what I'm using. <laughs> and there are also settings for how much do you trust your fellow players? Yeah, and mainstream Call of Cthulhu has done this recently as well with with the Pulp Cthulhu book, where where you have doubled hit points and various other things to make make you more survivable. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 I think a single campaign can can wander around between those extremes. It doesn't have to be locked onto one or the other. But maybe that's just well, me. I th- yeah, I think pulp is a feeling rather than a mechanic. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a style rather than uh, guy comes through the door with a gun in his hand, yeah. tentacle, whatever. A beautiful dame comes through the door with a tentacle in her hand, something like that. Uh, other things in the bundle that I think are worth mentioning, uh, Dolce Decorum Est, which is uh, Great War Cthulhu, in case the Great War wasn't horrible enough. Yeah, there are 
there are almost as as many objections to that idea as there are to World War Two Cthulhu. I'd love to run it. Then go on. Uh, also, um, Mythos Expeditions by several authors. I think Ken Height was in overall charge. Yeah. Uh, these the mechanics for how do you, how well do you survive on the actual you know, man versus nature part of the expedition are eminently stealable. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, in in, tra- in Trail of Cthulhu terms, it means spending stuff off your overall expedition preparedness and so on. Yeah. But that that's that's well worth looking at, and some of the individual adventures are good inspiration as well. And I I have never read a Trail of Cthulhu adventure that I w- I wasn't at least mildly impressed with. Mm. They they do seem to. have Put put a fair bit of effort into them. Uh, I've I've stolen at least one for my uh, World War Two non Cthulhu campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, def- definitely worth a look. But um, for for my what the ideal bundle for me would be none of the core rules, just the adventures that I can steal. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't offer that now, do do they? They don't. Now let us pass on. Yesterday evening, as we record this, I actually did one of the things that I threatened to do in an earlier podcast, so my record is not totally blemished. Mm. Um, I ran a session of Microscope to round off and cap off my abandoned uh, GURPS Dawn of Magic campaign, which ended in a bit of acrimony a few weeks back. And... I use this to extrapolate the future timeline of my history of, uh, of the 17th century with high magic restored to the world. And it went rather well, I think. Not as well as I dreamed of it going going in, but it went went rather well. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in this, A, because I think it's an interesting idea, and B, because I'm planning to use Microscope to fill in some of the history of a science fiction world I'm currently running. Well, you um, are have an easier task than I set myself. <laughs> I, I There were two complications uh, to to running this as above a set uh, standard uh, game of Microsoft. One, we had seven players where they very maximum do not do more than this in the in the in the manual says five. Goodness. And uh, and two, I set up multiple endings. Well, for those of you who don't know. Uh, let us explain. Microscope is a game of improvising a timeline, a history of a world of some sort. Um, and one of the first things you do is set up the beginning of the history and the end. And what I did here was the second complication. I set up the beginning as the end of the campaign, the point it had reached. Yep. And then I put up um, four possible endings. And I said to them, look, let's try and explore as much of this as possible. The four endings were, this this being a universe in which major magic has returned, too light and too dark. One, in, put in at the insistence of one of my players, was a magical utopia, trans-humanist magical utopia. Basically, he said afterwards, we were aiming for um, the culture with magic. <laughs> The second one was what I would have been aiming for um, had we played it through to the end, which was uh, a world in which magic does not dominate but is there and is respectable and the Council of Magic, which they founded, is there as a neutral uh, peacekeeper amongst the various nations and is and the world is progressing. Not spectacularly, but it's getting better and people are gradually learning how to do more things with magic and science. And the bad one, the first bad one, was an evil magiocracy with a dictatorship, with a council in charge and everybody else under their boot heels. It is sometimes arguably quite difficult to tell this from a magical utopia, especially from the inside. Yeah, well, that's what I said. <laughs> um, and the last one is Armageddon. The world, um, the world comes to to an end in in total magical warfare, and all life on Earth comes to an end, except the tardigrades. Well, except for the Quillipoth and the and those player <laughs> characters who have decided to join the Quillipoth, they might actually not have a choice in joining the Quillipoth. And 
from that you improvise what happens going around the table with people setting up various themes for each round we only got four rounds done because there were seven players um yeah one of the things that threw me is is it says right there on the cover that it's a fractal game but it's only got three levels of hierarchy pedant yes yeah you go you use a word like fractal it has a meaning all right, all but, right. But okay, my, my my understanding of this is you you but you have these three levels. You you have a period, yeah. which is an overall. This is the sort of thing that's happening during this time. Yeah. You have an event, which is a sort of summary point you'd see in a history book. You know, President X is elected, City Y is burned to the ground. Yeah, and that then within an event you have a scene. Yeah, which is potentially actually role playable in a in a normal yeah. sense. Yeah, we did role play one scene, which was right at the start. Ah, uh, because I wanted to give them that chance, and that that was um, that was the Council of Magic debating whether to reveal its existence to the churches, mm. and that was that pretty much set up the flow of everything else that followed. It was logically speaking at the beginning. One of the features is that you can go back in time and insert yep. more periods and more events. Yeah, th- this is one of the things I like about the the approach you take. And on a single player's turn, you have. What uh, one one guy is in charge and says, right, this this is the overall what we're talking about, yeah. which is not not necessarily a period or event or scene. It might be a concept. It's a theme. It's a theme. Yeah. But the things that can be put into that, um, I mean, you 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 might be talking about the election of President X, but some but somebody could drop into an earlier period, a scene of the childhood of the person who is going to grow up to be President X. Yeah. In a way that's relevant to that election. How he turned out to be such a bastard. Yeah. Um. Yeah, one the, so, so so this lets you um, create a structure and foreshadowing and so on yeah. with, without having necessarily to do it all in order. That's the way. Uh, that's the way it works. The did actually we managed to um, actually I think we only managed to get three. It may have only been three rounds we, we managed to get in. The first one was um, the church, the religion, religion and magic, hmm. which is what I chose to start off with. Um, the second one was the advance of of technology and magic, and the third one was the individuals who make up the council of thirty six at any, at any one time, mm. and th- those allowed plenty of variation within within the themes. Um, one of the things we should say, and this is a good uh, tool to use in setting up any campaign, is that the the at the very start the players are allowed to say, these are things I want to be possible in the game, these are things I don't want to be possible yeah, in the game. That, that's where I'm going to be breaking it in, in my use of the space game, because I already know, for example, that I'm, I'm, there, there, are, there are not going to be any alternative forms of FTL, there are not going to be any aliens. Hey, That sort of thing. Well, hang on. If you, uh, if, uh, if you want to go in with that and say... Those are my them's my rules. Ken Height, when he used this for his uh, uh, space uh, game, was uh, slightly astounded um, and annoyed that all his players, managed, uh, as as one said, no time travel. <laughs> anyway, the uh, and what and what we had here. Let me have a look at my picture. I'll put the pictures up. We got, uh, amongst other things, no to space aliens. <laughs> um, yes to technology keeps pace, pace with magic. Uh, yes to uh, the church declaring war on magic, and that happened. <laughs> and uh, no to uh, no to the ca- council being unanimous about anything. And um, no to immortality without without cost. <laughs> I, I think it's fair to say that the, the, these are, uh, by definition, exceptions. If, if if you're defining a fantasy setting, yeah, uh, you don't need to say there's magic in it. True. Necessarily, but the the yeah. unusual thing for a fantasy setting would be there isn't magic in it. So that would be what goes on the on well. The list. Yeah, we we put um, we took the the what the 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 actual played out campaign um, had established as truth and yep. already incorporated and from there it rather took took off um that's a picture of what the 
what the the setup looked mm-hmm. like afterwards. And we put a picture of that up. Maybe if I feel energetic, I will actually make it legible to people um, by using a bit of graphic skill. As I say, they didn't want to go towards more than one or two of the of the possible endings. Um, I how how do you work the multiple endings in? Because I, I was just just to say what the the, the standard thing is. Um, you you insert a period between yeah. start and end, and then once you have one or more periods, you can insert an event, and once yeah. you have one or more events, you can insert a scene within that. It, well, it's, it's all what I envisaged, what I envisaged going in was that they would allow scenes to branch in various directions, but they were new to the system, and I was being over ambitious. The most I think you, looking back on it, the most I think you could do. Is state these are the possible endings. Let's see which one we end up with. Mm. I think that's the most you can put. You can possibly, possibly do. They were heading towards, as I say, the transhumanist, um, uh, uh, perfect uh, culture. Like we had, uh, we had magical art- artificial intelligences with souls. By the They're end, they're called Ginny, aren't they? Pro- probably. Uh, <laughs> That we had a devastating magical uh, magical war, uh, which sparked off from the church. Uh, well, the church discovering that uh, that magic existed and discovering that one of the player characters had um, manipulated somebody magic capable into the seat of the pope. Um, <laughs> he swears he didn't kill the previous pope, and I suppose we have to believe him. I believe him. It reminds me of a young Robert Redford. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll put that obscure reference into the footnotes. Yes, yeah. yes. And they went um, all over. They went all over the place. What have we got here? Um, that various good things and bad things happened. Um, we had uh, all the, all the mana in the universe running out at one point, <laughs> and all of the everybody on Earth suddenly becoming capable of be- being a magician, mm. um, which sort of changed people's point of view a little bit. You don't want to burn witches when you are one, <laughs> just the bad ones. Just the bad ones, yeah, the ones who aren't on our side. Yeah, when I'm looking through this, the the idea of a period event scene makes sense, and then when you get down into, into the long grass of the scenes, it suddenly gets terribly complicated. Yeah, the longer we had a few scenes which were dictated, basically we didn't have time, and people said this is what happens, and that works. Yeah, um, I, I believe Robin Laws was suggesting that this is probably actually the should should be considered the default, unless all the players are actually enthused about playing through a scene. I yeah I've I wanted to give one last hurrah to the um, uh, to the uh, player characters that the, they were the and and the the in the in the original game the uh, the politicking of the uh, of the of the council meetings was one of the things I enjoyed very much mm-hmm. but. Um, on the whole, uh, yeah, you've got to do it very fast. And by the time you're deep into it, we never actually specified a timeline, but it's fairly clear that this covers several normal human life lifetimes. Yeah. Um, and gen- this is generations later. The, the members of the council, the people who bear the magical names, are, by the end, we were referring just to the names. Whoever it is is on the council who has this, does this. The, the person with yeah. the word of communication creates the World Wide Web and then somebody says yes. And after that, there is magical spam directly into your brain. Mm-hmm. That was a dark event. <laughs> Hive minds came shortly afterwards. Yeah, how does tone come into this, this, this whole light-dark thing? Because it seem, seems quite blunt. Well, yeah, it is quite blunt. And my players objected to it bluntly. They said, yeah, well, that's ambiguous, isn't it? That's got to be ambiguous. I'm the player who's putting the scene in, and I want it to be ambiguous. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, I thought that the ambiguous scenes might fit into the idea of a splitting into parallel timelines. But as I say, that didn't happen. On the whole, though, their magical paradise is not one that I would want to actually live in, in the slightest. You probably would if you were there. We are all happy and shiny. Mm. 
I really don't believe in in in, in the perfectibility of, of humankind. That, that's the trouble. <laughs> and, our, our, and and our depressed goth player accuses me of, of being of being a miserable old bastard. So, <laughs> oh, you're doing something right then. <laughs> Well, I, I just don't believe in... Yeah, perhaps I don't believe in it, and perhaps I think it's dull from a narrative point of view. Perhaps both. One of the things that did confuse me was the um, stuff about pushes. Is, is that something you... We didn't... No, we we mentioned pushes, um, and it could, and it was outlined in the rules. I, I was lucky I got a player... Who enthused and had uh, and put together a a summary sheet for, for the thing. I'll, I'll I'll send you a copy. And we can put it onto the uh, onto the show notes. Um, and uh, and we mentioned pushes the the possibility of saying no hell let's let's not go. The voting scheme of the pushes strikes me as extremely arcane and unnecessarily so. It it seems to me that the 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 author is going to a lot of trouble to make sure that people can't simply say, well, let's just talk about this and agree on something, because as far as he's concerned, that produces bland conformity. Uh, true. And, uh, and so there's always conflict, and so there must be a mechanism for resolving conflict. There is always conflict. But I mean, at, at the player level. At the player level, yeah. But I don't like the fact that you can vote multiple ways with more of your finger. It just confuses the hell out of people. It confuses the hell out of me listening to it. Um, and we and we never got around to a push because nobody came... Because we had multiple timelines, I, I suspect, and it didn't make a permanent difference. But people... We discussed ideas as they came up and we suggested um things that went along unless people were very very clear in their own minds about um about what they wanted uh, they were willing to listen to uh, to people mm. and uh, and to say all right let's phrase it this way rather than that way and is this what you mean or is that what you mean and that worked and people consulted and put it put together a version of of their um yeah of their final um of their fi- of their final idea. Now, I, I see from your illustration, you you guys are doing it in person with post-it notes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm one wondering whether some sort of live edited document, um, as you can with Google Docs these days, might might be an appropriate way. For I doing was it I was thinking when I I do the write up of this of using something like a mind map um, application or something like that. Mm. No, put uh, put together the square. I'm, I'm just thinking of straight hierarchical things. So you've got header one, header two, header three for um, period event scene. Yeah. And yeah, you're uh, except that then the way it's set out on the display here across the display is the sequence for periods, and down from the periods is sure. the sequence of events. Yeah, I, I, I that makes perfect sense with post-it notes. I'm I'm just saying I don't think that's actually necessary. Given that there is no cross-linking between, say, two different periods, hmm. one thing that does get added in is the legacy. Um, one important event which got in put in as a legacy was the proving the magic, the existence of reincarnation magically, uh, which caused all sorts of religious problems and, uh, and <laughs> confusion. The the impression I get there is is that it's something that changes the world in a substantial way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, and emerges people, from people after it can look back to it and say that that is a thing. That is a thing, and it, and it emerges and can be woven into the subsequent um, events, and it was quite a bit. Though presumably you don't do this retroactively. You can, ah no, you can do anything retroactively. Yeah, well, as long well, as it fits. But but once you've declared that um, you know, a, a period towards the end is thus and so, and it's got these events in it. Yeah, you're you're not going to rewrite those events that you have already written in the light of the legacy. Also, I you understand. might you might make them. Hmm, how can I put this? You might flavour them with the legacy. Hmm. This is this becomes retconning of of a oh that's what that was always about type. <laughs> and as long as it's believable, then I don't see any reason. Why not? You know, you you discover what was going on in the conversation at the back of the bar in the scene in Deep Space Nine that nobody ever paid any attention to. But 
That's a sort of uh, geeky thing that uh, that 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 uh, the players mm. are good at. Are you less confused than you were? You said you were. I confused. think so. Well, it, it, it is. Yeah. Dump, dumping the word fractal is helping me, helping my understanding. Yeah, lo, 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 yeah, all right. It's a fancy word. He doesn't necessarily understand what it means. Hierarchical, but hierarchical's boring and old-fashioned, man. Uh, well, yeah. You can't actually fract it down. Well, I suppose you could do sub-events of the events, but no, no. Let's not go there. You you know, can, this verges into my rant about wargaming campaign systems. This is not the place for that. So. I think you get you get to Zeno's paradox that you can't cross the room without first crossing half. No, let's not first, go. First, you need to make the roll to get out of your chair. Yeah. <laughs> people people are are injured in the United States every year. They have returns for for people who who are injured by their clothing um, every year. And 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 suppose I suppose it must happen, but it's not one of the details that we actually normally go into ah rollmaster <laughs> <laughs> those and, and, were not the good old days <laughs> and on that note that has been improvised radio theatre with Dice with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell-West. Please send us details of your immensely complicated and long timelines and the... And how you made them. And how you made them and the gaming projects which you really are going to get around to real soon now, um, either by leaving a note on the website or... Email to podcast at tekeli.ly And we will be back in another month's time.